Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World. Um, today we're joined by Emerald Fisk. Emerald is a, uh, a property investor in her own right and, and works as a, a mortgage broker with Ramsey & White, uh, who are a property finance uh, business in England and Wales. Uh, she also is a, uh, a regular public speaker uh, on both property investment and property finance. So. Uh, Emerald, it's great to have you on the show. Oh, hi, Will. Thank you for having me. So, Emerald, it might um, might be handy just before we get into it. Uh, how, how would someone get hold of you? What What's the best way? So if anyone wants to get hold of me, I am mostly found on Facebook. Um, people can just private message me or add me as a friend. My name's Emerald Fisk. It's E-M-E-R-A-L-D. F-I-S-K. So Emerald Fisk on Facebook. Um, yep. Reach out. Um, and, and I'm sure a few of you will, will want to uh, connect in and, um, and find out a little bit more. But in terms of just a quick summary of each of those three areas that you're working on at the moment, so your property investment, the uh, mortgage broker role, and your public speaking, um, what, what, are you, what are you up to right now? So... Um, from an investment angle, I have just had an offer accepted on a block of flats in Gloucester because um, I live near Gloucester. I've also had um, an option accepted on a site, so that's in legals, and I've sourced another block of flats for some clients of mine, so that's recently exchanged and should complete soon. So that's literally what I've been working on, say, in the last month or so. Brilliant. And on the finance side, uh, the mortgage yeah. brokerage? So that ticks along, um, just working with clients, mainly um, portfolio landlords, commercial clients, just brokering deals, really. Nothing too exciting, but all very necessary stuff. And then on the speaking side, I've recently been doing a lot of speaking and training for one of the property training companies, um, Progressive Property. Very good. And uh, your... Um... Joel White uh, of Ramsey and White has been a previous guest on the show. Um, if you go back through the back episodes, you'll be able to check it out. Um, and uh, you're, you're speaking. Uh, what, what, have you got any events scheduled in uh, for, for people to look up? Or I suppose they can get those uh, off you via connecting with you directly on Facebook. But what, what we, we might do is get started on um, our profile. Uh, which is having a look back at everything you've done up until now. So where did it all begin, Emerald? Take us back to your childhood. 
Okay, so where did it begin for me? Um, I've always grown up in a place called Stroud in Gloucestershire. Um, really nice area in the Cotswolds. I lived with my mum and dad and my sister and had a really normal childhood. Um, I was quite an outgoing child, like a tomboy, really enjoyed getting stuck in and stuff and riding bikes and um, just, you know, being a little Tasmanian devil, I suppose, a little bit. Living the good life. <laughs> Living the good life. Yeah, we were comfortable and we were happy. And I think that's the main things. Um, so that was like all through my childhood. And then when I was a teenager, I was an absolute nightmare. If I had a teenager like me, um, I would not be happy. Um, and, and what sort of interests did you have uh, in, in school as a primary school kid and then when you went off to secondary? So as a primary school kid, I did everything. I was in the band. I was in the choir. Um, I, I was, did the shows at the school. I loved doing all of that sort of stuff. I had piano um, lessons. I played at Cheltenham Festival. Um, I did anything and any everything when I was a, a primary school child. When I went to secondary school, um, by the time I was 14, I didn't really go to school, um, just didn't really enjoy it. So I spent most of my time skiving and just hanging out with my friends instead. Um, yeah, I was, so I suppose at secondary school, as soon as I got there, I just decided it wasn't really for me. Um, I got it in my head that doing exams was just memory tests and I didn't really want to be a part of that. So um, I just didn't really do any of it, I suppose. And, and looking back, do you uh, re regret taking uh, that, that position or um, do, do you think it stood uh, well to you? Um, it's really hard. Like Part of me regrets it because I could be more qualified. And um, after I didn't really go to school, I got excluded a lot of times. And um, my parents sort of said to me, if you get expelled, then... Um, you know we're gonna get rid of your pony which sounds really really privileged but it wasn't they were really desperate to try and get me into school and they looked at sending to me to some of the other schools in the area because they were really keen for me to get educated I actually went back to sixth form after I left the school um, because I decided then I wanted to get educated but that was on my terms in terms of regret for that um, I think it's just a personality trait within me if I don't enjoy doing something, then I find it really difficult to do. And I see a lot of people within society, within life, keep going at things that they're really not enjoying. Um, and luckily for me, I don't do things that I don't really enjoy, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and so how did this um, get resolved one way or the other uh, as you got a little bit further into secondary school? Um, so basically, when we got to the point where I didn't have to go to school, I decided that I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like such a typical teenager. Um, so I went back to sixth form and then I decided I didn't want to do that. So I was working alongside it, actually. When I was at sixth form, I worked part time at Tesco's. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that job. All my friends worked there and we had an absolute laugh Um every time we were on shift together. So I enjoyed being at sixth form and working part-time at Tesco. But I actually decided that I enjoyed making money more than I enjoyed getting educated. So I dropped out of um, sixth form and just basically did some care work for a couple of years. And I worked my way up. And the time I was in my early twenties, I was um, the manager of a care agency. 
And I really, really enjoyed that role because that is the first thing that opened my eyes up to business. So, and, and just so um, you could explain what, what a care agency does and uh, what, yeah. what type of organisation it was part of. So it was a really small organisation. Um, for someone that I'd worked for previously, they'd set up their own company providing home care within the community. And they brought me in to um, manage that, all of their staff. But actually, the managers that were there, they seemed to know more about the care side. And I seemed to spend more time looking at the business and the marketing and the payroll and all of those other parts of the business. Mm -hmm. And that's where I really first found that I enjoyed, um, just enjoyed business, really, and looking at how a business works and grows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So... In between all of that, in my personal life, um, I'd met someone, we'd purchased our first property together and um, we were looking at getting married. And I was also very, very heavily into fitness. So I played rugby every weekend. I played championship level rugby and I absolutely loved that. And I trained at the gym every single day. Um, So I was incredibly fit and healthy and I was really, really passionate about being healthy and live in a healthy lifestyle and as part of the fitness thing um i don't know if you know much about it but what i wanted to do was um trim down loads of weight um so that i could be really slim when i got married which sounds ridiculous now but that that's how it was back then and um by doing that the easiest way to do it is to walk because if you do a lot of hard training you knacker your body out so i'd lift weights but i'd also walk for over an hour every single day and that's how I managed to get into listening to podcasts and audiobooks and I believe that was the start of my sort of personal development property business journey. And and so this is really interesting so um, things uh, hadn't gone smoothly from your your parents or your uh, teacher's point of view uh, leaving school um, and there wasn't too much of a, a plan other than that you, you liked earning money. And, but one thing led to another. You, you, you're obviously, um, you know, at this point, things are going reasonably well because you're, you're earning money. You're at the point where you're buying a property. Uh, and we're talking, you're in your mid-20s at this point. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, and, and getting a little bit of inspiration from... Uh, from podcasts, but also actively involved in a pretty serious level of sport in, in parallel to what, what you're doing during the week. Yeah, I loved playing rugby when I played. Um, that was the highlight of my week, I think. Um, what position did you play? I'm a flanker. All right, just, just, so, <laughs> it, it, just so everyone knows uh, who's not a rugby person, there's 15 positions on the field and Flanker being uh, two of those 15 positions. And, and the best one. And, and the best players <laughs> tend to be flankers. Uh, I, I was a flanker and, and everyone wants to be a flanker, but not, most people can't be, so well done. Oh, I don't mean I was the best player, but it's definitely the best position. Like, yeah, I absolutely. Because <laughs> there's less rules in that position. Like, you don't have to be in a formation or be anywhere, do you? You can do what you like. There's a theme that's going to run through here. Yeah, you've got to be able to do everything if you're a flanker. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're like the centre-back of uh, a football team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Emerald, you're... Um, so you t- tell us about the uh, your initial sort of um, 
like experiences with buying your first property or even the looking at buying it. Um, Okay. Um, So I had no idea what I was doing, but I decided, um, so at 21 years old, that's when I was just getting into um, rugby and getting healthy. And I decided that I really wanted to buy a house and I needed to own one. Um, So me and my partner saved up for a year. We didn't really go out or do anything. We saved all of our money. And then um, we went down to Cornwall for the new year and we came back and I was looking on Rightmove and I seen this property, um, a three bed, like a three bed semi-ex council house, that style property, if you can imagine that. Yes, yes. And it was on the market for, um, I don't know how much it was on the market for. However, um, we purchased it for 138000 which was really really good price um so in today's terms that would be worth i don't know over two hundred thousand now if we still owned it mm-hmm. um and i loved it i was really happy i was dead pleased with myself i I'd, I'd purchased a property so the funny story is immediately as soon as we'd put the deposit in and purchased the property i was trying to get in touch with people to see how you could get the deposit back out to buy another now i knew nothing about buy refurbish refinance i knew nothing about property and i didn't know that the equity that was in there needed to stay in there if that makes sense because we only sure. put down like you know a 10 percent deposit um But immediately from that moment, I wanted more property and I just had no idea how that was going to happen. And it didn't happen for me until quite a few years later. But I think from that moment, I decided that I loved property. Right. And um, what what was the motivation at that point? Um, I just liked them. Like, I didn't really know about um, passive income or anything but I I understood that the wealthiest people in the world all owned owned a lot of property and I didn't know what that meant in monetary terms and I didn't know how it worked in terms of like you'd keep the um you know the difference between the mortgage and the rent I hadn't thought about it that much I just knew I wanted more property if that makes sense Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so we lived in that house for a little while um and then I started listening to podcasts and self-development and all the, all of things like that. Um, and then um, we got married. And then very shortly after, we got divorced. And then that is when I decided to jump feet first into property and go and find out how all these people like do, you know, build portfolios, like how it all works. Right. And the, um, the separation and, and divorce is obviously, you know, wasn't the plan at the beginning, but it, it sounds like it's opened up uh, other opportunities. Yeah. So um, I think what happened was I did what society tells you to do was like, you know, I had an all right job um, working for this care agency. We'd bought a property and we were living in it and then we got married. And then I was like, well, actually, like, I want more from life. I'd like to run a business and I'd like to do this, that and the other. Um, you know, and my ex-husband was a really nice person, but he wasn't really that way inclined. And, you know, it's not that we didn't get on, but there was nothing really between us. We'd just sort of met and done all these things that we were taught to do through society, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, And I wanted to do other things, like just live my own life and and go and learn about the world and, and... I really wanted to get into business and I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And and in a a way, like you're you're starting to build up 
um, like some quite relevant experiences because you're if you're a manager in a uh, what was effectively a, a small startup business, you're you're often doing a lot more than you would be uh, as a manager uh, in a much larger business. Yeah, definitely. Um, I did loads of stuff that wasn't really my role, but I just loved it. Um, I managed the staff, I did all the supervisions, but I also did the payroll. I looked into a lot of the HR stuff. I did some of the training and whatever was checked at me, I just did it. And I really loved that part of the role that I didn't really have a job role, if that made sense. So I just did whatever needed doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time as well, I'd sort of got it into my head that I didn't want to work anymore for other people so I was also training to be an accountant believe it or not I was doing my AAP2 which is the lowest level accountancy um, qualification and I was also training to be a personal trainer so um, I think when I was like 25 26 I must have had a quarter life crisis because that's when I ended up getting divorced and I quit my job and sold my house and I just set up as a personal trainer on my own self-employed role and in the background, that's when I was learning more about property and business and self-development. Right. And who, who was influencing you at this stage? Like, um, what, what uh, was there anyone that you admired or, or were following? Or did you have a mentor or a coach? Or uh, was there a friend who uh, was inspiring you to uh, take these, these uh, changes or make these changes? So I didn't have a formal mentor or coach at that stage because I wouldn't have known what one was. Um, I was very good friends with my personal trainer at the time and we were looking at, um, I was getting qualified as a PT and then when I qualified, we were looking at premises to see whether we could find a way to make a gym work and whether we could own a gym ourselves. So I suppose that would be like an informal mentor. Um, In terms of following people, um, I've flitted through different groups. I've always followed, I don't know if you know, a person called Jamie Alderton. He's quite big in the fitness world um, and promoted a brand called Grenade. You know the Grenade Bars? Yes. Yeah, he was the, the sort of face of it for a little while, I suppose. So I followed that. Um, who else did I follow? I don't know about them. Um, just but, different. But you're, you're gaining a, a like an understanding about business and uh, in a wider sense, probably a little bit more of the marketing and sales side. Yes, definitely. So I suddenly had my eyes opened up to all of that, um, and. I thought sales, I didn't really like sales then, whereas now I really love sales. And I'm like, when you're selling, you're serving and you're helping people and all of that sort of thing. Whereas back then I was like, wasn't into sales roles and I didn't enjoy selling myself as a personal trainer. So even though I knew I could help people by helping them, you know, get fitter, get better on the rugby pitch, lose weight, I didn't like selling my service because it felt like a a dirty word almost to be a salesperson. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's quite a common, um, I don't know, mental block that people go through uh, and that they need to get through it in some shape or form if they're looking to uh, progress and, and, and grow their, their business or uh, be that in property or, or another trading entity. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just couldn't get on with it. I couldn't see that you were helping people, I suppose. 
Um, but that's changed massively for me for me now. Now I'm like, I enjoy that. I enjoy watching good sales. I enjoy learning about sales psychology or or listening to different books that help with negotiation and sales. Whereas back then, that was definitely a massive blocker in, in my PT business is that I didn't want to be seen as someone that sold to you. Okay. And, and so uh, that, that phase... Um... Um, you you gain some experiences as well as uh, leaving behind the things that you uh, perhaps weren't happy with. Um, what what happened next? What happened next? So um, that was when I spent about a good year learning, listening to books, turning up at different events, dabbling with different coaches or mentors, um, and then I ended up with a property training company. And um, obviously, because I'd had a lot going on at home selling my house, my parents weren't overly impressed with me. I think they thought I'd had terrible teenage years. And then I'd obviously, you know, grown up and um, bought a house and was behaving like a responsible adult. So then when I decided I didn't want to do all that and I wanted to be a personal trainer and get into property, they thought I was going to... Um, you know not be great again so everyone was really cross with me so I just moved up to Liverpool and started renovating houses right and what what possessed <laughs> you to get into this what possessed me to get into property and um, just listening to different podcasts so I mentioned Jamie Alderton um he interviewed a lady called Shah Wesmond and I thought she was really really good so I searched for her and she was interviewed by um, Rob Moore. And then I started listening to his podcast. And then I started learning about property. And at the same time, I'd gone to a business event um, down in Brighton. So I don't know if you're in a sort of entrepreneurial group called Coffee with Dan. Um, uh, I, I'm not familiar with it, but t tell us about it. So it's just like, like there's many groups on Facebook. So it's just an entrepreneurial group. Um, for the people the leader's called Dan um, his name's Dan Meredith he's got a book out and I went to a business event of his um, with the idea to grow my personal training business somehow maybe go online with it to give me a little bit more freedom but to figure out a way to um, to grow as a personal trainer and I met a property investor there and um, they they explained how they purchased houses using other people's money and they use this sort of buy refurbish refinance method so you know where you buy a property you do it up and then you try and refinance it at a higher value and I just thought wow I want to do that um and so I asked them if I could learn from them um and they said yes so um I started doing that that's when I got invited to some of the property events and then yeah because uh, because I suppose because everything was going on in my personal life um, because I really wanted to get into property I got it into my head that property only worked in in cheap areas so I suppose my limiting belief was that I couldn't raise the finance to do property in my own area so it made perfect sense for me in my head to pack a bag and um, get a HMO room at, in a place called St Helens just outside Liverpool and just start renovating properties in Liverpool really right okay and, and, and so <laughs> um what, what's the drive time from um shroud to liverpool roughly um about three hours right so it's a three hour uh drive each way yes yeah and yeah. um what what was the what was the the plan how, how were you uh 
you know, what was your role? How were you financing it? What was the, you know, the, the target area? What, what type of properties? What was the plan? Were you flipping? Were you looking to hold? What, what was the, the basic plan and, and, and what changed? So um, the, the plan was a very basic one. There wasn't much of a plan. Um, <clears throat> I was raised in finance with joint venture partners and purchasing properties to hold them and refurbish and rent out. So I didn't want to flip any of them. I wanted to keep them all. Um, and I went to events and raised finance. And then I went up to Liverpool looking for two or three bed terraced houses that were in a rundown state that we could just purchase for cash, do a refurb on them and let them out and then refinance them at a later date. Right. And, and at that stage, uh, so what, what year are we in at this point um, when, when you got your first uh, Liverpool property? 2018 so I'd been up to Liverpool end of 2017 looking I had my first offer accepted around Christmas 2017 so after Christmas that's when I packed my bag and got my HMO room up on the outskirts of Liverpool and the um obviously by the time the conveyance went through it was you know beginning of 2018 was when I purchased my first buy to let property. Fantastic and how did that feel uh doing that? Well, at the time, well, at the time, it felt really good because I was doing what I wanted to do. But it also felt like an absolute nightmare because I felt like I had no idea what I was doing, and I'd had some training, and um, you know, classroom training is very different to um actually doing. And I was using other people's money. I've never managed trades before, and it was something I so desperately wanted to build a portfolio. Um. And I was making myself keep moving forwards because once you're once you're in the trenches, you just have to keep going. But at the same time, um, I didn't one hundred percent know what I was doing or know that I could do it because I'd never done it before. And, and have you got a funny moment or two you could you could share about that period um, where uh, you were you were into it, but. Um, as you said, you, you weren't quite sure what you were doing, but you were doing it. Oh, I don't know if it's funny, but um, we purchased three properties um, pre and post auction on the same street in Liverpool. Um, and I didn't consider when I purchased my first buy to let properties to look at the outside of the property. I only looked at the internal bits of the property because... Um, because I hadn't really looked around properties that needed doing it before. So I just walked around and costed up as best as I could everything on the inside and didn't realise all three of them needed new tiles on their roofs. And then I had to go back and explain that to my investor, who was very, very um, kind about it and was like, it's not blown our contingency out the park and, and we managed to get new roofs on all three of them. Right, okay. And what, what was the uh, very rough purchase price um and what was the cost of the roof oh so the purchase price we're talking tiny little two-bed terrace houses um in l6 in liverpool and the purchase price were just under forty thousand, so that we didn't have to pay stamp duty okay and, and, and was, like, that, was that mortgageable at that stage uh not really no so so someone's put the cash into the overall uh yeah. purchase I wouldn't have known that they the weren't. What was the cost of uh, the re-roofing? Re oh, okay. So that was only like 2K per roof. 
Right, right. Uh, okay, so so uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a twenty k job. Um, no, 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 definitely not. It was literally just retiling them all, and there's such little houses. It was only two k, so it, it ended up being fine. But when the builder told me, I was like, "Oh my god, what have I done?" And we were obviously buying them in cash. You asked that, you know, were they mortgageable? I now know they're not really mortgageable because we were buying forty k houses with you know barely usable kitchens or bathrooms. Um, but back then, I wouldn't have even known that they were mortgageable because I didn't understand that sort of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. And this is just to um, make sure if, if any newbies are on uh, listening, make sure you have a look at the outside of the uh, the property <laughs> as well as the inside. It's usually there as you walk into the inside. So just have a quick look and, and, and uh, see if there's anything wrong. Oh, no, do you know what I mean? Brilliant. Like, Brilliant. When you say it, but I didn't consider looking up at the reef. I just assumed that the reef would be okay. Yeah. And the, <laughs> um, so you're, and, and it's fascinating how, uh, like, you were able to actually execute these deals. And, and have they worked out okay when you look back at those three? Yeah, we refinanced them at like 75k each. Um, they're obviously worth more than that now because it's another four years later and they still cash flow to, you know, they still cash flow at the moment. Brilliant. Now, now in getting those refinances, what, what did you learn? Um, oh, it's quite hard work because this was another thing I didn't know because when I jumped into property, actually, um, naivety can be your biggest downfall, but it can also be your... Um, your, your greatest greatest thing that you've got in the terms of if you don't know what you don't know then you have less fear so you have less holding you back but also if you don't know what you don't know you can very easily make mistakes if you see what I mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so when we refinanced them where I just um quit all the work I was doing I wasn't personal training because that was down in Stroud and I was living up in Liverpool I couldn't prove an income now I see people do this all the time now where they think I'm going to get straight into property you know maybe they might live off savings maybe they might um just make it work but if you don't have um pay slips and you don't have a tax return you're not very mortgageable are you no no <laughs> so um how did you get around that well, I was lucky that I was working with a JV partner. But again, I landed on my feet, you know, with the roofs, they weren't too expensive. The JV partner was okay. My JV partner was mortgageable for the both of us. So it didn't matter that I couldn't prove my income because they could. But, um, you know, what? How, how silly of me to not even consider whether I could get a mortgage. I just assumed that I could. And and so, uh, who who put the mortgage application together? Were you using a broker? Um, yeah, and- we used a broker, and um, we bought a, a couple of houses up there, including the three that I mentioned on the same street. And um, so we just got a mortgage over the whole lot, just just one loan across the five properties. Right, and and so uh, there was a little bit of cash back out. Um, and, and what what did you what was the arrangement um, uh, with how the finance worked with the investor at that stage? Um, so we the the investor put all the money in. I went up and did all the work, got them tenanted in that, and then um, we just owned them fifty fifty. When we refinanced again, they would take their money back out because there wasn't massive amount left in each property. 
Um, and we just split the cash flow 50-50 and we still do today. Right. So, so it's worked out for both of you? Yeah, definitely. Very good. And, and then... Um, so that, that's quite a quick start. So um, I, I think that's a great point around the naivety not holding you back, but also, you know, p- potentially, um, you know, th- there's all sorts of things you don't know that you, you probably, uh, on reflection, need to know. But uh, it didn't stop you getting started. What was, uh, what, what was next uh, up on the, the hit list? What were you planning to do? Whilst I was up in Liverpool, I'd also um, got a couple of rent to SA over in Chester. Um, so I was doing that as well. But after a so year... So just, Liverpool... just for people who aren't familiar, um, what, what Emil's talking about is she was renting a, a property and uh, running the, uh, the operation as a serviced accommodation um, business. So uh, effectively leasing the property while... Uh, while operating it uh, as serviced accommodation. Yeah, so I was doing that. But after a year living in Liverpool, what I decided was to actually move in three hours away from all your friends and family. Um, You might be acquiring properties, but then you've just made yourself miserable, aren't you? Because I had no friends up there. And I didn't like to have work friends up there because I was working by myself, you know, managing builders and, and looking for properties and stuff. Um, so then I started coming back down south a bit more and then I decided I wanted to move back home to Stroud. So I set up another rent to service accommodation business in Cheltenham. Very good. So, so you, you'd picked up a, a skill set on the, the two Liverpool properties and yeah. you're, you've taken that back. Now, Liverpool and Cheltenham are, are quite different um, markets generally and definitely in service accommodation. What uh, the, what was your plan when you, you, you went into that in Cheltenham? Cash flow. Cash flow was the plan because I loved Vitalets and I loved BRR. But after doing five of them, I realised it was going to take me a very long time to get to the level of cash flow that I wanted um, just by doing Vitalets. So I didn't want to stop doing them, but I also wanted to build cash flow quicker. Right. And when I was up in Liverpool, actually, I sourced some properties for some other people. So I had those renovations on the go when I was up there as well. Very good. So, so like uh, this is all a uh, there's a lot going on. So you're you're you go forward and uh, so so we're at um, beginning of 2019 roughly, and you're you're heading yeah. uh, back a bit closer to home, and yeah. uh, you've got a um, a new business line uh, of, of the serviced accommodation. Uh, what, what was, uh, and the idea is to, to get a bit of cash flow. Uh, what, what else is happening on the property front? So um, I was doing Rent to SA in Cheltenham. And if I'm honest, I was absolutely hating it. Like managing guests and linen and cleaners and people. Um, it was not enjoyable for me at all. And mm-hmm. I was getting really frustrated because I'd really enjoyed the, like, you know, buying the small properties properties and doing buy refurbish refinance and I felt like the service accommodation although it was giving cash flow it wasn't doing what I wanted to do I'd set out to build a portfolio I, I hadn't set out to be a hospitality service on the end of my mobile phone in the middle of the night when somebody had lost their keys um, yes. which is part of what um, you know serviced accommodation uh, entails 
<laughs> well, I know that now, but at the time, it was like, what do you need? Cash flow, do SA. Um, and you just get bogged down by all the stuff you see on Facebook. And actually, when I led in bed at night, I hadn't wanted a, a service accommodation business. I'd, I, I had wanted a portfolio. And in my shiny penny syndrome of running around the property communities and Facebook and all the rest of it, I'd lost sight of what I wanted, which was a portfolio. and started chasing other things that I didn't necessarily want to do. Um, so I was getting fairly frustrated with my deals in Cheltenham. Um, I was also flipping a property in Shroud at the same time. Um, so that was quite good because I, I enjoyed, you know, that part of it. And so, so, so tell just, us a, a bit about the Shroud property. So that was like a um, three-bed ex-council masonette. It's actually a really, really interesting deal, if I'm honest. Um, so the council had put on the market a year previously to me getting this deal, they'd put on the market a block of 24 flats. And okay. um, and I went and viewed these 24 flats and I thought, God, this would be awesome to do that. But I can't buy 24 flats in one go because I wouldn't know what to do with them. And the council had sold them off. And I'd found out they'd actually sold them for something, I think, they ended up selling for like 1.2 million for the, the 24 flats and you got a field with it as well. It was a bit dubious as to whether you can build on that field because um, Stroud's got some big hills and, and that field was very sloped, shall we say. And then um, within a year, the flats had come back on the market and they were being sold off individually. And I'd never thought to do that. But basically the people that had bought them had bought the site, title split the flats and then not done any work to them because they were all absolutely minging, not done any work to them and just put them back on the market. Right. Um, and I thought, wow, I wish I'd have known that that was something to do. But when I'd viewed them flats, you know, in 2018, I would not have had the skill set, the mindset or anything, you know, the inclination to think oh, I'll buy that, divide it up and sell it to other people to do it. Right. And... And so, uh, what, how, um, like, what, what was that? Like, were you getting training or mentoring, or uh, what, what was going on uh, in parallel to this? Because you're you're moving very fast relative to the average property investor in terms of your progression. It may not have felt like it at the time. No, it felt awful. I felt like I was doing terribly. And it's only when I look back that I think, God, God, you know, I had a lot on my plate back then. So, um, yeah, I was I was probably still on the progressive mentorship programme. Um, but I didn't have sort of someone constantly guiding me. I just was very, very hungry for deals. I was very happy to go out and raise the finance. And I just had this intrinsic feeling inside that I needed to make property work for me yeah um I just wanted it so much that it didn't matter how I got there like a detriment to myself moving up to Liverpool um, on my own up there um I really didn't enjoy that like that seemed all to get pushed to the side on my personal life just so that I could focus on building this portfolio that I so desperately wanted um, so I'd have liked to have kept the deal in Stroud, but the investor wanted to flip it. So I said, OK, and, and that's what we did. And and so um, like the 
you know, there's a, there's a great saying that the type of money, um, so, so who um, whoever's putting the money in basically should decide um, what happens with it. Um, and, and if there's not a fit on that basis, you, you've got to get someone else to put the money in. Mm. What, what was your investor base like at that point? Like you, uh, were you networking? Like how, um, what, how did you come across these people? What, what was, um, um, what, what were your thoughts on reflection uh, about that side, the fundraising? Um, I just networked all the time. Like I spent loads of time networking and I just told everyone what I did. And I've always used social media to, you know, keep people updated on what I was doing. And actually looking back, I don't know how investable I was because as you can tell, I was up in Liverpool, I did all of that. And then I was doing SA and then, you know, I was doing this flip. And, you know, now I'm much more structured in what I do. I mainly buy blocks of flats. Like I don't do anything over extravagant I'm not running around looking for a million deals at once so back then I look back at myself and I'm like wow like I, I'm surprised people didn't look at me and think god she's a busy fool do you know what I mean and when you look at you back then um what how, how do you feel but when I look at me back there yeah I think I'm proud of myself for just keeping going because um, it was really hard, like really, really hard because there was just something I so desperately wanted and I put so much pressure on achieving that goal and I felt like I was surrounded by people that were doing better than me. But actually in the poverty circles, you're quite often surrounded by a lot of noise, a lot of people that are not doing a lot, if you know what I mean. And, and do you think uh, people who were who chose to invest with you, they were buying into your ambition and commitment uh, yeah. as much as your expertise or or actual strategy? Yeah, they were they were buying into me and my drive and my determination, and you know the fact that I did do the things that I say I said I was going to do. Um, and I just kept going, but that's what they were buying into. And I now know that people would rather work with someone that you know has a can-do attitude and and makes things work even in the tough times rather than um invest with someone that has the most amazing deals in the world but is a bit of a shitty person if you know what I mean gotcha and if you you add up where you're at at this stage it's a uh, it's a fantastic sort of um little property investment um cv because um just up to this point you're you've um you've Bought and sold your own house. Uh, you and the all of the emotions and uh, and things associated with that. You've uh, you've gone and you've uh, raised some money. Uh, you've you've got a joint venture partnership. Uh, you've brought a number of properties. You've refinanced them. You've done a flip. You've you've run two separate uh, serviced accommodation operations, um, and. Uh, obviously eager for more. So, uh, so well done. Uh, I, I think you should be very proud of yourself. Um, it, even if it feels like, you know, it's getting a little bit more uh, focused and refined. Um, so uh, that, that, that's cracking. And obviously, you know, I, I should mention that you've, uh, you've had a, um, like a period of um, relatively expensive education at, the, at this point. Um, so you've done the uh, progressive VIP program, you're networking, you're meeting people. Uh, was there anyone that you met um, in the networking that, that um, 
gave you an insight or a particular idea that uh, you think has been important since then? Yeah, so the first person I met in property was um, Tony Gargan, and she buys portfolios and blocks of flats and just does buy, refurbish, refinance. And I tried all these other strategies, and that's the strategy that I wanted to do, the one that I started with. Um, and I think she's the one that I used to, I still chat to now and, and you know, reflect back off and say, actually, all I really wanted to do was build a portfolio. So I think she's been really key um, in helping me grow my business. And then some of the people that I met on the VIP when I was on it, you know, I still know them now. We still go out for dinner sometimes. And, um, yeah, just really good, nice people that you can bounce your property and business ideas off. Well, fantastic. And um, in terms of, um, just, just so people have a, a concept, when you say you were networking all the time, at the peak, how many events would you be attending in a, uh, over the course of a month? So what I did was um, I decided that going to loads of events is not the best way to build up a relationship if that makes sense because if you go to one event Monday and a different one Tuesday and a different one Wednesday you're not spending a prolonged period of time with any of those people you're just meeting a volume of people so what I used to do was um go and help out at the progressive events so that then I could spend the weekend with people so you know on on the courses that you've done back then you could go back and help out on them so I used to quite often go back and do the four-day masterclass that they taught you know in one year I reckon I, I I helped out on that like over eight times maybe because then over that four day time you'd go out for dinner with the people two or three times and actually get to know them and if you built one good relationship out of that to me that was better than attending a million networking events and saying hi to 50 people and collecting 100 business cards and then never speaking to those people again mm -hmm. but that makes sense um and at what point did you start thinking about other income streams and getting into uh, brokerage? So um, when I was in Stroud and I was running my service accommodation in Cheltenham, I, I um, sourced those deals on eventually because um, I am not a hospitality queen at all. And um, and then I went over to Wales to replicate what I was doing in Liverpool with the little, you know, 40, 50 grand houses, do them at turn around, add them to the portfolio. And I was also sourcing a lot then as well. Um, and that was like chugging along nicely. I was sourcing some deals, buying some deals. Um, and then I stumbled across this sort of bigger deal in Gloucester and we were just getting going on that. And then um, COVID hit and... Um, Throughout all my Welsh deals, I'd obviously met Joel White from Ramsey and White. And he kept saying to me, Emerald, you're really good with the numbers and stuff. Like, why don't you train to be a broker? And I was like, why on earth would I want a job? Like, why would I want to train to do something? I'm quite happy with what I was doing. And then um, during the lockdown, I you weren't allowed out, were you? You know, in the first one, when you actually weren't allowed to go out and you mainly stayed in, you know, by the third or whatever one, most people did what they liked, I presume. I don't know. But, you know, in the first one, I thought, oh, I don't know what to do with myself. So I just purchased the materials and did my exams. Just like that? Yeah. It was just like, Joel nagged me for a little while. And then... I was like, yeah, 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 I might do it. Not sure. And then one day I thought, do you know what? I'm going to do that. And so that's what I did. 
Now, Rams and White have been uh, growing tremendously. Um, yeah. Um, and, and so uh, he obviously convinced you to, uh, to get involved. Um, and and uh, how's the experience been so far? So when, when did you qualify? When did I qualify? I think it was last year. The beginning of last year, springtime, I guess. Yeah, so I've been brokering about a year. Um, it's been awesome. Like, I learned so much from what I've learned. And actually, the exams are not really about brokering, if I'm honest. The exams are all about, like, economics and and the banks and investments and all of this sort of stuff. And I found it really, really interesting. And I wish I'd have been taught it before. Like, I might have gone to school if they'd have taught me about, you know, different investments and equities and gilts and all this fancy stuff and shares and, and interest rates and how all this, you know, stuff works that I hadn't known before and also it really helped like um obviously I see loads of deals go across my desk because I'm a broker and I look at that and I think that's a good investment that's not so good you know that's got a good return oh maybe I'll do one of those and now I look at other people's deals so it's helped massively like that um so I'm really really pleased that I trained as a broker and I do wish I'd done it sooner um and I've learned absolutely masses from it Right, and your um, like, w- would it be fair that you uh, were, were probably uh, it meant a lot more than if you'd been taught the same stuff at school? Yeah, if I'd have been taught it at school, it wouldn't have meant so much because I wouldn't have known what to do with it. But when I went into brokering, I already had the property knowledge, the property understanding. I know what I want. I know what investors want to do. I just needed to learn what the lenders were happy for you to do. If that makes sense. And in terms of uh, like the the role of mortgage broker, have you um, have you found it an advantage that you are an investor in your own right? Hundred percent. Like obviously, you don't need to be an investor to be a broker. But I don't really work with many people that um, you know want a mortgage for their own home. I work mainly with investors, and it helps massively because I know what they want to do, and I understand it all because I'm I'm one of them. And the fact that you've you've been in a quite a wide range of property investment situations um, already that's a big advantage because people can be investors and um, only employ one strategy in one location or uh, and only understand the financing around those as opposed to the, the range that you have. So and how is it going? It's good. It's going really, really well. Like, um, I, I was overwhelmed with clients as soon as I started putting myself out there on Facebook. Um, so for me, it's been absolutely great. Ramsey and White have been like fantastic, really supportive and helpful. Um, you know, always there to answer questions. Um, it's great to be within a group of people. So we're all self-employed brokers, um, mainly. And, um, it's nice to be in a team environment like property can be quite lonely and even though you go to networking events and you're part of mastermind programs um you're still working towards an individual goal not a joint goal so it's nice to be part of something where we're working together right and it's a and if someone's wanting to find out a little bit more about that they can obviously get hold of you now um, the, the other thing that we might just touch on is your 
your speaking. Uh, so you you started volunteering um, at Progressive Events as a effectively a crew member, um, and and now you're uh, you're a presenter in your own right. T- tell us a bit about how uh, that's going and and what inspired you to start doing that. So when I first arrived there, I used to look at the speakers in absolute awe and just think I could never get up on stage and do that. Um, and I really wanted to, but I didn't see how I was going to be able to be that person. And then um, after I did my year on the VIP, I think I won JV of the year or, or an award along those lines. And I got interviewed on stage by Rob and... Um, all the way through my interview and I was like well obviously I went up to Liverpool and obviously I I then got some essay for cash flow and Rob turned around to me and he was like well it's not obvious to the audience that are listening and I literally mounted in my seat and thought I never want to do a bad interview again and be terrible at speaking because when I was on stage I didn't know what I was saying I couldn't even think because there was all these people in front of me and it's like being a rabbit in the headlights and I got a stage and you know like you're dripping with sweat and you're just like shaking and it was just awful and I thought Emma do you need to get good at speaking um is this going to help you with your investors you know with your confidence with your life and it was something I really really wanted to do and be good at so um someone said to me that night I said to them I was like I really want to do the speaking training but I haven't got the investment that needs to be made into it and they said to me um I'll pay for it and you can pay me back in a year so um someone helped me you know get my speaker training and I was still really rubbish and nervous and then I was just about getting good at it when COVID hit I think that's another reason I did brokering as well because I really wanted to do the speaking and then suddenly that got taken away and then since the world's opened up um it's like my confidence levels have changed and I really enjoy being on stage and entertaining and helping people learn and inspiring and motivating um and I also enjoy telling people like my story that it wasn't all easy for me and actually my mindset at the beginning um made the whole investment thing really hard because I was so hard on myself because I had these goals and I I didn't know how I was going to achieve them um so for me speaking's just um, I just love it. I just love it when I'm on stage and I'm helping other people and, and you see a light bulb sort of light up, their eyes go and they've suddenly understood it, like what you could do in property or they've understood that you, you can change your life. You don't have to do what society tells you to do. If you want to quit your job and build a property portfolio, if you want to raise finance, if you want to do all of these things, like you are 100% able to do that if you take control of your life. Um, I just love it. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And um, I, I think we're going to have to get you back for an update in another uh, six or 12 months, the way things are going. You're you're flying along. So, uh, Emerald, first, absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, fantastic story. Uh, and well done on everything you've, you've achieved and the inspiration that you're providing for all the people who are, are following you. Uh, check her out on social media. Uh, Emerald Fisk. Uh, Facebook's probably the simplest way to get hold of her. Thanks again. I'm Will Mallard. This is My Property World Podcast. Thanks, Emma. Uh, Emerald. Thank you. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. 
We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.